Hello and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of two certified financial planners. Each week we give a brief market update, discuss current economic conditions, and provide education on a financial subject. Now here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Nguyen. All right, Bill, new week, same question. How are the markets? Well, uh, mixed. mixed. Uh, the standard on poor 500 is up 0.18%. Small cap stocks are down one and a quarter percent. They continue to not perform well. Uh, international stocks down 0.14 and bonds up 0.47. Mm. So I guess... The real question, what everybody's been talking about, is CPI. CPI. And so it seemed as if it came in a little bit hotter than not anticipated, but rather just it was rising. Um, mm-hmm. And so people were really concerned about that. And, and the big question I have is, is the indices didn't really seem to be hit too hard by that news. And I can't imagine six months ago if we got that news, I feel like we'd be down a percent overall averages. So kind of what's going on with that? Well, uh, core CPA, CPA, CPI fell, mm. uh, and the difference is core CPI, you take out food and energy, yeah, which are very volatile. Um, but pretty important. Well, if you eat or, or, or drive a car, uh, you, you need those things. So I, don't, I, don't, I never understood why they stripped those yeah. out because those seems like two pretty good components for inflation. But I think people were discounting the energy component mm-hmm. of it, meaning they didn't think that trend was going to increase because energy has been uh, that sector, those components has been rising pretty significantly lately. And yeah. so I think a lot of people that looked at CPI are saying, well, that's all due to energy that's going to come down. And they're like, not that big of a deal. So gotcha. so we'll see. But uh, core CPI fell. Um, producer price index data came out today. It fell. Mm-hmm. That's good. But last week, um, the personal consumption expenditure survey, PCE, mm-hmm. was up. Yeah. Uh, retail sales today was up. So the consumer is still spending. Interesting. And wages are rising. And that is what the Fed does not want to see. Hmm. They do not want to see consumers spending, wages rising, because that's a key component to inflation. So I guess why were the markets so resistant? Just because core CPI was down and that's all they really looked at? Or was it just kind of, hey, we kind of know that the Fed is going to probably pause and then yeah, hike one or two more times and they're just not worried about it? Yeah, and there are some people that are saying they're done hiking mm. uh, completely, that this is it, no more hikes. Uh, but I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, who cares if they hike one or two more times? Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know, like if it's raining and you go outside and you get more wet, does it really matter? Mm. Um, not a very good analogy, but I think people are saying that They've raised rates so high so fast that another one or two hikes is really not going to add that much more damage to 
uh, stocks or bonds. Mm -hmm. uh, but some people are calling for, they're saying this is it, they're done. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, I just, I, comparing it to what we're seeing normally when we have these data points come out to what actually occurred, it was just kind of mind boggling to see and this is just being like, huh? Well, you're right. Timing's everything. You know, a year ago, the market would have freaked out. We would have been down significantly. CNBC would have had a market and turmoil show. Mm -hmm. um, and, and where we are in the cycle, people are like, ah, it doesn't really matter this time. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it all depends on timing, where we are in the cycle. Um, but right now, the markets are saying, ah, I don't care about that. So... Would that be more indicative of a soft landing or maybe just a delayed recession, in your opinion? Uh, you know, I, I'd probably put it more in the soft landing camp, okay. even though it's never happened before, yep. ever. Uh, and everybody's like calling for a soft landing like it happens all the time. <laughs> so it's never happened before. Um, recessions are inevitable, right? Yeah. I mean, they happen all the time. Uh, well, not all the time, but they, they do happen. So right now, it, it, it does look like it's a soft landing. However, if the rest of the world mm. goes into recession, it's going to be very hard for us to stay out of one as well. Yeah. I guess that's going to be a topic of conversation. If we don't have a recession in 2023, but we have in 2024, are people going to say this is a direct result from the rate hikes or is this a different environment? Kind of how do you... They'll 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 blame, they'll blame it on the rate hikes. They I'm will. sure. Okay. Um, and interest rates reset everything. Mm. Everything. Uh, nothing is undone, or nothing is left, or nothing is 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 exempt from uh, a hike in rates. Yeah. Whether you're buying a home, a car, your investments, everything resets because of interest rates. Mm. Uh, the higher they go the lower asset values go. Yeah. It's just simple math. Whether you're, again, whether you're buying a home, a car, stocks or bonds, if rates continue to rise, things go down. As rates go higher, people stop spending money. Mm. When people stop spending money, there's a recession. So mm. they'll blame it. However, next year's an election year. True. And both parties don't really want, well, uh, the Republicans would like to see a recession, I'm sure. No, mm -hmm. no one wants to see a recession, yeah. but typically when there's a recession, uh, the incumbent usually loses. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Democrats are probably going to do everything they can to get us out of recession. Mm. So uh, look for a lot of uh, unique incentives next year yeah. for uh, everybody. Yeah. I just think 2023, I was like, probably, I mean, you know more than this, the most historically uh, assumed recession. I feel like every yeah. single person in the world in January and in December were saying, we're having recession in 2023, we're having recession. And with all of the information, the data and these experts, I just, I get, I get a struggle with them, how they're wrong. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. They're always wrong. Which just doesn't make when, sense. When everybody says something's going to happen, it, it usually makes sense to take the other side of the mm -hmm. tree. Uh, so words like never, ever, always, dangerous. Um, we've never had a soft landing. And we've never <laughs> had a soft landing, which is a danger. <laughs> so we might have one, yeah. you know. Uh, but, yeah, you know, everybody's like, oh, recession's coming. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to happen. And we we did it. Mm. We're not yet. So 
it, 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 what you're you're trying to take a million data points from around the world, yeah. right? Whatever the number is, mm-hmm. you change one of them, it alters the equation. Yeah. So I think Europe raised interest rates mm-hmm. today, so now everything around the world resets. Mm-hmm. Everything's connected globally. So say trying to come up with a single answer from all these data points is impossible, yeah. right? Like people want to know, is the market going to go up or down today? Well, let's check off all the data inputs in here. Earnings, interest rates, the Fed, inflation, Europe, China, Russia. It just goes on and on and on and on. And any one of those components can alter the market. Yeah, it only takes one company to really, especially one, one of those big companies to take down an indice. So it's what, wild. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but tonight mm. the UAW might strike. Wow, yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll get into that yeah, a little later. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, yeah, let's transition to our empowering education. And so we both saw the Wall Street article about the 24-hour options trading. Yes. And that kind of piqued our interest because I feel as if there's two spectrums with option trading. It's either people are extremely speculative and just like gamifying the idea of investing and those other ones that are just, hey, options are from the devil. Don't ever touch them. Yeah. I feel like there needs to be a healthy middle ground. So before we really dive into what options are and kind of our experience and opinions of them, let's just get a baseline definition. So if somebody says, hey, Bill, what is an option? What would you say? You are buying a contract on a stock for a future price, whether that future price is higher or lower. So for example, let's say um, IBM, you know, it's trading at uh, whatever it's trading at here. It's trading at uh, 147. So you say, um, I think it's going to go to 200. Mm. So you have a couple options, no pun intended. One (laughs) is you could buy the stock outright, 100 shares. Uh, about fifteen thousand dollars, mm-hmm. or you could buy an option contract for maybe fifteen hundred dollars mm. that expires at a certain point in the future, next month, next year, two years, whatever. And if the stock goes up, then you're going to make a lot of money on that option contract. An option contract has a limited life, a mm. shelf life, and if you are right, you can make a lot of money in the direction that can go up or down. Um, but that's basically it. It's a contract on a future price. And to emphasize the value of the contract can differ from the value of the stock. hundred percent. Yep. And so a lot of people like options because rather than plunking down $15,000 for a hundred shares of IBM, you say, I'll take $1,500 and now I control a hundred shares of Mm. IBM, but I can hold IBM forever. Yeah. I never have to sell IBM. Contract has a shelf life, limited life. It's a wasting asset. Mm. So whether it's 24 hours, 24 weeks, 24 months, at some point it's going to expire. Makes sense. Perfect. So why are are they so dangerous? Well, because it's a wasting asset. Mm. So you have to be right on the stock, the price, the timing, and the direction. So if you get any one of those wrong, you've lost all of your money mm. if you wait for expiration. So um, if you're wrong in any one of those data points, it's it's not going to work out for you. Now, again, if I buy 100 shares of IBM stock and I'm, I'm wrong on the timing, I just wait. 
Yeah. I'll just sit on that stock forever because I don't have to sell it. But that option contract, I have to make a decision mm. soon. So that wasting asset is why people just lose money mm. in, in the stock. And there's a lot of components to an option contract. Uh, certainly the time, the strike price of where you want the, the option to go. And volatility. Volatility, implied volatility is a key component to option pricing. Mm. And if that changes at all, it changes the price of the option. So you might be right on the stock. You might be right on the direction. You might be right on the option. But if the volatility changes, you've lost all your money. Yeah. And I want to jump into the 24-hour on the volatility and just seeing how the system has this down to a science in which it's hard to game it. Um, but before we do that... Talk to us about naked calls, because I feel like when we have the options, um, cost and risk, we get we can lose all our money. But if you sell a call, you're obligated to perform a duty if if the other yeah. person on the other side says, hey, I want you to fulfill this obligation. Yeah, covered call is the most conservative option strategy there is, because mm -hmm. let's go back to IBM. Well, let's talk about naked call first. Oh, so naked call, you, you just, you're buying... Mm -hmm. The option, you don't own the underlying asset. Yeah. You don't own shares in IBM. You're just speculating on the direction of where IBM's going to go. So mm -hmm. you could buy a call if you think it's going to go higher. You could buy a put if you think it's going to go lower. Yeah. But you don't own the underlying asset, so mm -hmm. it's considered naked. Yeah, and I guess the biggest thing is you sell a call if IBM, say, at 150. If IBM goes up to 400, you don't own that asset. You have to buy IBM at 400 and then give the well, contract to them. Selling a naked call is the most aggressive investment strategy, yeah. not option strategy. Of all the things that you could do to wipe yourself mm. out financially, sell a naked call. Because, again, if you don't own the underlying asset and it goes higher, you have to buy it back at that higher price. Yeah. And um, we never recommend selling yeah. If you are... If you have a naked short option position, close it out right now. Yes. Because it's the fastest way to the poor house. Yeah. I, I just, I don't think you can talk about options without giving that huge rewarding label. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really like the idea of the volatility index and, and the pricing of it. So, why don't 24 hour calls work? Like, what what, what is your opinion on it? So, You've been to Las Vegas. I was born in Las Vegas. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Gambling's in your blood. So roulette. Mm -hmm. One roll. You put your your chip on black thirty two. Yeah. One roll. What are the odds? Well, on black, I like fifty fifty. No, black thirty two. Oh, like, gosh. Like yeah. A, a, yeah, that's so. The... Yeah, so you can pick a color, black mm -hmm. or red. Fifty fifty on the roll. Yeah. You add a number to that, it goes up. Exponentially, yeah. So 24 hours are like roulette. Mm. 24 hour trading options because it's it's a wasting asset. And if you are not right, mm. you're going to lose all your money quickly. You actually will see your your investment losing value by the minute or by the hour because if if it doesn't work within that 24 hour window. It's going to evaporate. So you can look at the delta, mm. which is the probability of the option being in the money. So, for example, if it's a delta of 50, you have a 50-50 chance of making money. Um, but let's say you let's say you buy uh, 
a 24-hour option contract on a stock that's $100. Mm -hmm. If that stock is trading at $99.75, it doesn't matter. You're going to lose all your investments, mm -hmm. all your money in that option because it's not going to go to 100 As the day goes on, your option contract value is approaching zero. So you don't get a second prize if your stock, if the stock stays at 25 cents below your strike price. So your strike price is 100 at $99.75, $99.99, you lose all your money, everything, because that it's a wasting asset. Yeah. So if we bought a call on IBM and we said, I want it to expire in two years. Well, that's a long time for options. That's yeah. a long time. Um, it's going to lose a little bit every day mm. if it's not above your strike price, but you have a two-year window. Yeah. So it's going to hold its value for the most part for a couple of years until it gets closer to that expiration date. Mm. But it, it happens quickly. So two years out, it's not going to move a lot. As we get closer to the date, so two days out, that option is going to really start moving. Mm -hmm. One day out, it's going to just go crazy. And then on the day of, you're either making money or losing money. So a 24-hour window, you're just speeding up time. And um, again, if you are not right on the stock, the price, the direction, the strike price, game over. Yeah, and you talked about the delta, right? And so people will say, well, why don't I just buy an option with a delta of 95% or 99% and kind of, can you talk to us about the pricing and why that's kind of a ill strategy? Yeah, so uh, the higher the delta, uh, the the more, the probability they're going to make money. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, the stock's probably in the money. Yeah. And you're probably going to make, you're probably going to make some money if it's in the high 90s. Okay. Um, but if the stock starts to go down, that delta is going to start dropping mm -hmm. dramatically. So again, if we're using, let's say uh, you start today at a hundred dollar stock and it's trading at one Oh five. Yeah. So the delta is going to be pretty high, especially if it's expiring today. Yeah. And you're like, Oh good. I'm making money and you don't close up. But now let's say it goes to one Oh four, one Oh three, one Oh two, one Oh one, one hundred and that delta is now going from the high nineties down to zero. And because it's it's the 24-hour option, so the delta is moving with the stock and the stock where it's going. So in that scenario, if you're if you're in the high 90s, you're you're probably gonna make money. Yeah. Um, but it won't price you out though, because I mean, if you're if you're buying 24-hour options, this option is this contract's probably been valid for a while, because um, you're just picking up on the back end, maybe on the secondary market, you wouldn't get priced out. No, I mean, you just sell it, you make money. Mm. So if it has a high delta, the ch chances are you're going to make money on the stock, on yeah. the option. But on a you know, delta of 10 or 20, you know, you have a 10 or 20% chance mm. of making money. You're probably not, not going to make a lot of money. Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Well, so we saw that on the speculative side. So are options just not a value of viable strategy are there other ways to really start using these responsibly well i love options <laughs> uh so there's, there's two strategies that most people employ mm. uh, the first one is selling a covered call so what is that so you own the underlying stock so going back to ibm trading at 147 you say well if it hits 150 dollars a share i'll sell it mm. so we can sell an option contract that expires in october Strike price is 150. 
And for that right, we said, hey, we'll sell it at 150. We might get, say, $5 an option contract. Yeah. So if you own 100 shares, you're going to get $500 credited to your account. Nothing left for you to do. So in October, if IBM's trading at 150 or higher, you sell the stock. If it's trading at 149.99 or lower, you retain the stock. And you keep the money regardless, the $500. Yeah. So that's a great way to generate income, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're looking to sell positions, you write calls against it. Uh, the other strategy is uh, selling cash-covered puts. Okay. So let's say you want to buy 100 shares of a $100 stock, so that's $10,000. So you would sell a contract, a put, mm -hmm. and if the stock falls to that price. So let's say we want to buy the stock at 90. Mm -hmm. It's trading at 100. We sell a cash covered put at 90. If the stock hits that price, then we're obligated to take 9,000 from our cash account mm -hmm. to purchase the stock because we're legally obligated to buy the stock at that point. Yeah. So cash or a, a covered call is you own the stock and you think it's going higher. Well, it's actually a neutral strategy to mm -hmm. a negative strategy because you you want to retain the stock. You want to retain the stock more often than not, but you collect a premium, and then if it hits that price, you sell it on a cash covered put. You like a stock, but you think you can get it lower. Mm -hmm. You get some income uh, on that trade, and then if it hits your price, you have to take the cash to purchase. So those are usually the two strategies that um, work the best because you are selling. Yeah. So most option buyers, like 95% of option buyers, lose money. Mm. Lose everything. Yeah. Not, not just yeah. lose something. They lose everything. So the sellers are the ones that make the money. So mm. selling a call or a put is an excellent way to generate income. It's an excellent way to take advantage of these speculators yeah. who are losing and you pocket a few dollars along the way. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it limits your liability because you have the cash or you have the underlying asset, yep. which is extremely important. And then, like you said, to be right on an options, you have to be right on a myriad of, of different things, but to be right on selling one, like... You don't have to be right. Yeah, you don't have to be right. You just stitch us us to... You, you, you already own the stock. You sell the call. Money credits your account. Yeah. There's nothing for you to do at that point. Yeah. You know, if it goes higher, you sell the stock at your price, and then you could buy another company. If nothing happens, you could write that option again for November or December um, and so on. Yeah. So there, on selling a call, it's it's the safest thing you could do from an option standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we're both in agreement. Options have their investment strategy, and they can be a very good strategy to use, but you just have to use it in the right way. and. Like it's a tool in your hand. Mm -hmm. Like if you are comfortable using a tool, whatever it is, it, it works pretty well. If you're yeah. not, you can get hurt pretty quickly using a tool that you're not familiar with. Mm. Um, so when I read that article, I thought, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing in the world because 24 hours, um, you, you could lose a lot of money, especially if people are borrowing money to mm -hmm. do this. It's, it's just, uh, Kerosene on a fire. Yeah. Um, and it's pure gambling, worse than gambling, in my opinion, mm. trading 24-hour options. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Well, appreciate that. We just wanted to say, hey, I feel like options get 
a lot of horrible press, rightfully so, with the 24 hours and things of that nature. But there are ways to really use it um, responsibly and use as a tool to continue investments. Yeah. And I should add a disclaimer, you know, options do involve risk. You yes. can lose yeah. all your money. Uh, if you are trading options, make sure you're working with somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's terms of speculation go, it's at the top of the pyramid. So be careful, uh, read the, the fine print and, um, and, and, and don't commit a lot of capital to it if you yeah. are trading. And if you are one of the persons out there trading 24-hour options, stop right now. Yeah. <laughs> that you can, If you're yeah. upset about that, comment, Dr. Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's transition over to our intriguing issue. And, and you want to talk about the strike, you said? Yeah, the UAW uh, striking. Uh, the two biggest ones are GM and Ford. Yep. If they don't get uh, increases in pay, uh, they're looking for a 36% pay raise over the next four years. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't? Yeah. And uh, plus the cost of living adjustment every year and a few other things. And it looks like it's going to be a uh, targeted strikes, meaning not everybody's going to strike at yeah. once. They might have uh, a transmission division strike or they might have a motor division strike mm. or whatnot. But if you, if you, if your car doesn't have a transmission, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. So, if those people strike first, it, it shuts down the line. Yeah. And so tonight at midnight, I think it is, if they don't come to an agreement with the auto companies, then they're going to strike. Mm. Uh, the last significant strike was in 2019 GM. Uh, the employees uh, were on strike for 40 days, mm. and it cost uh, GM about $3.6 billion. Uh, dollars. Uh, also, the workers want a shorter work week, so they want more money, working less hours. Which, would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it, man. I hope they get it. Yeah, um, yeah. So it'll be interesting. So, who do you think the largest beneficiary of the strike is? The largest beneficiary of the strike, like probably. Who, who's going to who's going to benefit it the most? Ford or any other competitor of GM? Well, Ford is. In, oh, they're, they're in that. Yeah, their strike. Their oh, strike Tesla too. might be. Tesla. Yeah. Tesla's going to come out looking pretty good. It's yeah. kind of like Disney versus uh, Spectrum, Spectrum or Charter. Yeah. You know, people are like, ah, I don't need cable anymore. I'm mm. going to YouTube. Yeah. So people are like, ah, I'm done with this. Uh, I'm going to go get my Tesla. Yeah, or Rivian. Or Rivian. Tesla and Rivian should do pretty well. Interesting. I've seen a lot more Rivians. Around. I have too, and they're, they look nice, but uh, that's an interesting strategy when it comes to striking because I guess – you, you one set set of sector strikes the other is still working but they can't really do anything yet they're still getting paid and then they just keep moving down the line so uh, it, it might be what they're i guess it's called a rolling strike which so makes sense each, each division as opposed to everybody walking out the door all at once mm -hmm. they're like hey yeah well you guys keep working yeah. we're gonna shut down this unit so it's like um, car manufacturing one unit gets shut down like you said all of them does so yeah that's yeah. that's a very smart thing to do so interesting um, i don't know too many cars that can run without a transmission so yeah, i don't i don't know either <laughs> well uh, perfect we'll appreciate that my uh intriguing issue is mitt romney's statement so he is yeah. saying he confirms he's not running for re-election and, and the big reason was he says he's too old um, and he said a new generation of leaders needs to step up and start running this because they're the ones living in this country and will kind of 
reap whatever the legislation yeah. has passed in the next four years. And he said, I'll be 83 if I run for a second term and it'll be as my ending of my second term if I get reelected. And he says, that just doesn't seem fair to me and he doesn't want to do that. And I just, I think this is the first really huge politician to come out and say, hey, we might need to start turning over this leaf and start giving back to the the younger generation. And with term limits being a topic of conversation, I would be interested to see kind of where this goes and if he's going to be a proponent of it. And because um, I, I can't, I can't really pull up any news source without having term limits and other people doing things to cause the topic of term limits to come up. So kudos to uh, Mitt Romney for finally saying, hey, yeah, we might just need to stop, start stepping down as, as, as leaders in this nation. Yeah, because there's like a lot of people in Congress that are way older than he is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry to see him go. I've always liked Mitt. Me too. Uh, never met him. But uh, if if there's somebody that could, I think, start the term limit conversation, it's Mitt. Yeah. And and maybe they do. And I think they need term limits mm -hmm. uh, or an age limit, however you want to do it. And, and maybe push it out to the year like 2040 or 50. I don't know what that magic year is, but you know, do it so that the current people in Congress don't feel like they have to leave tomorrow, mm. uh, even though some should. Um, <laughs> I, I would like to see their term limits or age limits. Certainly. I, I think a lot of people would. Well, it's just wild because when we started this nation and not we, when <laughs> the founding fathers started this nation, there wasn't any term limits for the president. George Washington was just like, after eight years, he said, you know what, I'm done. And then people just followed suit because they respected him until FDR came and he went four. And then after that, that's really when they said the president can only serve two terms. But we never really talked about Congress people, um, yeah, which is so crazy. interesting. But uh, yeah. You know, it's weird to think because our founding fathers were like in their 20s and 30s Whew. when they set this company up, yeah. our country up. <laughs> yeah, that's the craziest part. And sometimes I always think so, Ben Franklin was actually alive during the civil war and he predicted it as well, which is, that's just like, you don't, is your mind uh, kind of like subjects to different eras and you don't assume that. Well, George Washington said political parties would be the demise of the country. Yeah. I think everybody said, um, but perfect. Well, Bill, good show. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, diversify your assets. Don't trade 24 hour <laughs> options. And, uh, if you're in the Austin area, we finally got some rain, cooler weather, awesome. so uh, all's well. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website at parrotwealth.com. That's Parrot with two Ts, where you can learn everything we have to offer here at Parrot Wealth Management. That's our view from The Perch. See you next week.